Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. supporting the growth and development of our sector. So thanks so much for coming. And I personally would like to acknowledge the, the traditional owners of our land, the Truable and the Agra people, and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging, and recognise that these lands have always been lands of, of learning, teaching and sharing. So thank you, much respect. I think the common thing that brings us all here together today is really in the search of how we might create a better tomorrow for Australia and around the globe. And that's why I'm so happy to have an amazing speaker, David LePage, all the way from, from Canada, and a great panel here today to discuss social enterprise, ecosystem development, and how we may work closely together to enable a strengthened ecosystem and the effects of that, ideally improving some of our deepest social and environmental problems that we experience. So we have a great panel as well, and I'll introduce them a little later. Today's event will be recorded on a, on a podcast, uh, and it will be published in a, in a week or so on Impact Boom. And together, a quick reflection is that it is a very exciting time for social enterprise in Australia. We are working hard towards a bid for the Social Enterprise World Forum to host that in 2021 in Brisbane. And already we are seeing that that is a strong catalyst for development of our ecosystem. And so it's with great pleasure that I welcome David LePage to the stage. David LePage is the, the Managing Director of Biosocial Canada. He has a whole list of other roles around the globe that has really helped push the, the development of the global ecosystem forward. And that includes as a member of the board of the, the Social Enterprise World Forum, as chair of Social Enterprise Council in Canada, amongst many other 
fantastic role. So, David, it will be fantastic to see you in Ethiopia this year, an event which is going to bring together over 1,400 delegates from around the globe and in which we will see a, a strong Australian presence. And uh, it's with much pleasure uh, that I welcome you to Brisbane, to our city, and I'd like to you to please make him feel nice and welcome. So this is a switch for you. It's not Tom's height or Shannon's amazing voice, um, just me. I'm very humbled to be here as well. It's fascinating because you actually get to hear me in the future because at home it's actually yesterday, so I'm not sure if I'm supposed to like, we're done with this, enjoy the day, or um, come back tomorrow. Um, it's been an amazing week uh, visiting here in Australia. You guys are doing some amazing work and hopefully uh, we can contribute a little bit to that discussion to help move it forward and to help give you some perspectives of what's going on in Canada. So rather than spending a lot of time on some of the, the small stuff, I thought I'd try to give you an overview of some of the perspectives we have and then the, the panel can dive into some of the issues. I think, as Tom mentioned, it's really, really always important in our sector to remember why we're doing this. Because I think oftentimes we get so wrapped up in the how and the what and, and all that issues that we sometimes forget that what we're really trying to do here is address some really serious issues. I mean, the community that my office is located in and is referred to as the downtown east side in Vancouver. And trying to explain what it is for people dealing with mental health, drug addiction, poisonings and fentanyl, and living on the streets and trading on the streets to, to try to say, you know, where do we provide some hope in that? And I think part of that model where we've had problems is we've created a business model that was built on the model of Milton Friedman over the last few hundred years. And the purpose of business has become how do we create the greatest economic value we can? Stieglitz in his recent book actually said, the problem is, is we've changed. Money used to be a matter of exchange. The dollar wasn't a matter of exchange, an IOU. Now the IOU has become the goal. And who gets the most IOUs is the winner, not the value of the trading. What happens then in the extraction of this economy is we've ended up having to create this phenomenal charitable sector that has to fix the issues that are created by the means of trading we've created. I think where social enterprise changes that equation is we're not talking about separating the social value from the economic value. We're actually talking about how do we create a blended value business? Because social enterprise is really about maximizing that blended value. It's sort of like you can't take it apart. It's not like we can put the ingredients in and at the end of the day say, well, I don't think I'm gonna do this social value or I don't think I'm gonna do this trading value. It's actually blending that together and we cannot take it apart. Because we are not trying to create economic value alone. We are actually trying to create community value. We are trying to change the economy from being focused on economic transactions to actually community transformation. And in community capital, we're talking not about just one capital, but we're talking about a healthy community. And when we think about that, we're talking about using social enterprise to actually create capital. 
So when we think about it in the community where I work, we think about Embers, which is a day labor social enterprise. They probably on uh, any day have over 300 people with barriers, primarily working on construction sites. But their real objective is to create opportunities for people recovering, people coming out of prison, people without the health or other capacity to work the traditional eight hours a day, five days a week, and transitioning. So they're really building human capital. We look at amazing projects like um, the Higher Education Society, which is up on the islands of Haida Gwaii. And it's a First Nations initiative. And years ago, they had the idea that they would start a university program. And everyone said, how would you do a university? There's only like a couple thousand people on the islands. They said, no, we're not going to do the university for us. They created a culturally sensitive, geographically aware environmental program where university students from across North America come to study in Haida Gwaii. So not only are they employing First Nations storytellers like Shannon, they're employing the environmentalists, and they're bringing awareness to the First Nations culture to university students. We don't often think that sometimes our farmers markets and our other markets are actually contributing to community economic development. But when you start to think about all the models that social enterprise takes, they're all about creating community capital. I don't think, and I've been doing this for a while, actually someone recently suggested I should be carbon dated, but um, I don't think I've seen a business that has not been done by a social enterprise. I think the first social enterprise I started a long time ago was a print shop. So some people may not know, but there was a time before the internet and you actually printed things and gave them to people to transfer information. So we had to, in our community organizing initiatives, control our information and we set up a print shop. I think when you think about what kind of business models you have in Queensland and across Australia, probably not a business model that could not be a social enterprise. And probably not a community issue that could not be addressed by a social enterprise. So when you think, are we working with youth at risk? Yes, there are social enterprises that can address that. Are we talking about social inclusion for seniors? When we were in Hong Kong for the Social Enterprise World Forum a few years ago, we had dinner at a restaurant where the staff was all people who had lost their jobs in the garment industry, seniors who were now getting an opportunity to have self-esteem. So there's no opportunity that we cannot address through a blended value business model. But in order to create the environment that can create a healthy social enterprise sector, it was in 2009 that the Social Enterprise Council of Canada identified six pieces of, a, of an ecosystem that we believe are really that foundation. So it's business acumen. And a lot of people said, right, those nonprofits need to know how to run businesses. And I said, but also the people coming from business need to know how to integrate a social value. So it's business acumen for social enterprise. It's also access to the right financing at the right time. And having spent this week with social traders, it's been amazing to see what you've done in Australia about creating access to markets to, to create the demand for the supplies that are created by social enterprise. Measuring success becomes so important so we can share, as Shannon said, it's not, we have to be able to share our stories. We have to be willing to measure what we're doing and report on it. And when I see like 100 people here 
this model of what's going on with Cleveland Social Enterprise Council and in um, New South Wales, the, the growth of the social enterprise sector creating their own networks, such an important piece. And then the other one, and we spent a lot of time with David, the last David Brooks last week, meeting a lot of government people because creating that supportive political side, that supportive public policy side is so important. And I think in that ecosystem, everyone has their role to play. So Tom mentioned some of the different groups that are here this morning, whether it's a city council, a state government, the government have a role to play. The universities as anchor institutions have a phenomenal opportunity from the education side, from the finance side, from the convening side, from the purchasing side. When we look at all the players in a sector, in a, in a community, and we start to focus them on creating social value through business, everyone has an important role to play. One of the projects that we started in Canada is called the Social Enterprise Ecosystem Project. And what we tried to do was collect a number of intermediary institutions like the Social Enterprise Institute that was working on business acumen, working together with Buy Social Canada, working together with an online marketplace in Quebec, and working with the Social Value Lab out of Scotland in order to create and activate and sort of initiate a visible you know, collaboration on the ecosystem across Canada. And it's had phenomenal ability to bring people together and to change what had been people working in separate silos to build the social enterprise ecosystem to actually create new collaborations across sectors. And so people always say, what do we have to do to be successful? Focus, focus, be persistent, be persistent, focus, and then do it again. And I think what we're trying to do is, is we do have to do things like a Monday morning breakfast at 7.15, which is very impressive. But at the same time, we have to do things like, you're all gonna go and do your days today, and you're gonna be involved in that day. And when you think about the fact, and when I first visited Australia, it was for the 2009 Social Enterprise World Forum. It was only the second World Forum we held, and most of the conversation at that World Forum was, so what is social enterprise? How do you define it? And so we were really about what it is and why. And I think what's amazing now is we're talking about what's it doing. We're talking about moving it forward. We're talking about the impact it's having in communities across Australia. So I think you really have to congratulate yourselves. This has been, for me, an amazing visit, very inspired, and I'm taking home much, much more than I can share with you. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, David. It's great to have your reflection here today and we'll look forward to discussing this a little bit further on the panel. How's your breakfast going, everybody? I hope you're all enjoying it. I'd like to also thank the Brisbane Convention Centre and Brisbane Marketing. Both Claire and Holly have really jumped on and, and provided some fantastic support and are extremely interested in social enterprise as well. So thank you uh, to both of those organisations. Now, I'd like to welcome the other panellists to the stage, please. David Brooks is the Managing Director of Social Traders and proud host of today's event as well. David, David's had an absolute whirlwind of a week hosting the Social Traders Conference down in Melbourne from a Tuesday and Wednesday last week. It was a, a very successful event and it brought together 
the nation's uh, social enterprise practitioners, uh, enablers from all across the ecosystem. So welcome, David. It's great to have you here. <laughs> David also sits on the board of the Social Enterprise uh, World Forum and, uh, and will be heading over to Ethiopia. So it's fantastic to have David here. I'd also like to welcome Belinda Morrissey. And uh, Belinda Morrissey is the CEO of the English Family Foundation. Uh, and the English Family Foundation has played a very strong role in supporting ecosystem development over quite a few years now. Uh, and Belinda is also a, a great colleague, a great part of, of the working group. Um, and I very much appreciate the support that the English Family Foundation provide in helping grow and develop the sector. So thank you, Belinda. And last but certainly not least, we have Emma Kate Rose. Emma Kate Rose is the chair of QSEC. She's entering the second year now of what's been amazing leadership that has seen fantastic development for the Queensland social enterprise sector. She's also the managing director of Food Connect, uh, one of Australia's leading social enterprises. So Emma Kate, it's fantastic to have you here and, and let's let make a wel welcome please. My name's Tom Allen. I am the founder of Impact Boom, and it's my absolute pleasure to be able to collaborate with all of you on stage and look at how we can, we, we can effectively move the ecosystem forward and generate ways that we can tackle some of our, our biggest issues. So today, we have a lot to reflect on. I'd like to start with David Brooks. David, we started last week with that wonderful conference. What were some of the key takeaways that you'd like to share with everybody and, and how might we move forward after what's been a really big week of events? Um, thanks, Tom. Could I just um, start by acknowledging QSEC and Boom for partnering uh, with us on this event this morning. Um, it's great to be here in Brisbane. And um, also just wanted to say that um, Social Traders has, um, has run similar breakfast events here in Brisbane over the years. And um, it's great to be doing this again in 2019 with, um, with David LePage in, in, um, <coughs> in conjunction with the, with the annual conferences that we've held over the years. We've, um, we've brought a, a number of international guests out. It's great to be able to do this again uh, this year with David to provide a bit of a perspective and insight in terms of, um, of the sector here. And uh, we've been able to do that in the past, going back several years ago, <laughs> with people like Peter Holbrook and Nancy Moon Tan, um, so great to be back here. I want to acknowledge um, QCOS here today because we've been we've, we've actually hosted a number of these breakfasts um, in Brisbane with QCOS before QSEC was formed. And uh, Mark, it's great to have you here in the audience today. And um, our staff here in Brisbane are, um, are cohabitating with with QCOS. So um, just wanted to acknowledge that today. Look, the conference. Um, yeah, we do have these uh, conferences. Um, uh, we've been doing them now for the last seven or eight years and um, the 2019 conference which we held um, this last week over two days was a great success. A number of you were, were here and you know I think uh, for me there was a bit of a difference with this conference. I think you know there's really, I, I feel as though that there is real momentum uh, building you know around the country and a lot of that momentum I think it's great to see you know it's got its grassroots and um, I think here in Queensland, you know, through the Queensland Social Enterprise Council, you know, I think um, probably are uh, certainly leading on that front, being the 
you know, the most sort of coordinated um, and organised grassroots movement here. And as, um, you know, as we sort of saw and heard last week, um, you know, networks sort of forming at state levels, you know, around the country. Um, in in uh, Victoria, where Sendic was launched by, you know, the Victorian Minister, you know, South Australia's doing great stuff. And, um, you know, in New South Wales and ACT and New Council, uh, along the models of QSEC being formed as well. So, you know, I think the grassroots movement is really, you know, that was a real theme of the conference. The theme of the conference last week was the state of social enterprise in Australia. And, um, you know, a lot of my, I think, my sort of views in terms of where we are at um, are consistent with what, you know, David LePage was saying around, um, you know, um, the, the ecosystem. I think, you know, the, the policy environment here in Australia, you know, is heading in the right direction. Um, without being sort of parochial, I think Victoria um, certainly is in the lead, but it's great to see that Q Queensland is in pursuit. And, um, you know, I think there's stuff to learn, you know, for Queensland and the other states to learn uh, from what we've been through <laughs> over the last eight or nine years. You know, we, we've been operating in, in Victoria for 10 years and it took us eight years for, vic for, for Victoria to, you know, to come down with the social enterprise strategy and the social procurement framework, which we were launched last year, is you know really sort of world class. So you know the ecosystem is developing. It's still still fragmented. I think we've got um, some sort of gaping holes on the you know on the finance front uh, as well. Uh, but I think where the uh, trajectory is that way rather than that way or that way. So um, I think we've got a lot to be um, you know positive about uh, and confident. And um, you know David and I um, over the last few days had some really positive discussions, not only in Queensland, um, but in Victoria, but with New South Wales, um, and also some recent positive discussions at a federal level. So, um, you know, I can see um, in the not too distant future, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident we'll get a nat national framework uh, which will provide a really supportive policy environment, um, you know, for, you know, for uh, what we're trying to do here. Thanks very much, David, for those reflections. And certainly we have a date. We have 2021 marked as, as a strong objective to get that national strategy in place, led by local and state strategies. And certainly in Victoria, there is an, a, a world-class social procurement uh, policy. And I think that's uh, it's much due to the hard work of, of social traders and, and yourselves. So Emma Kate, many of us sitting in the room today have just come off the back of a three-day unconference, which was led by QSEC by the Eunice Social Business Centre at Griffith University with support from the English Family Foundation. It's been an amazing weekend. I think a lot of relationships have formed and been strengthened, but Emma Kate, I'd love to hear your thoughts. What are some of the key reflections and what did we learn at the UN conference? I'm still recovering. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty, I don't know, who, who, who came along? Hands up. Yeah, half the room. Awesome. It was amazing, actually. I think it was a huge leap of faith for people to trust the process. Um, an unconference is not a conventional thing to, to invest your time in. Um, turning up with no agenda and no idea of who's going to be there. But the actual process was incredible. And I think um, not just the content and the quality of the content um, was, you know, obvious, but, you know, the main aim was really to uh, take advantage of all of us being in a tight sort of geographical area over, you know, 36 to 48 hours um, with little opportunities to escape. And actually five days before we arrived, 
the camp decided to impose a, a no alcohol ban, so we couldn't even imbibe afterwards, <laughs> um, which was kind of good in a way, actually, on reflection. So, uh, so a lot got done. Um, I think there's already three or four Facebook groups that have already popped up um, of people connecting and, and wanting to work together. You know, there are a lot of people there who were seeking support, who came up to me afterwards and said, I got everything I was looking for after this weekend. All my answers, all my questions were answered. And just to see the great mix of people, not just social entrepreneurs, but also, you know, um, Belinda and Alan from the English Family Foundation braved the uh, school camp accommodation and terrible food to, uh, you know, to join us and, um, and really hear from the grassroots and, and um, be, be, you know, complete participants in the whole process. So it was fantastic. And for me personally, um, the deepening of relationships, the building of the trust networks, because, you know, we are in a little bit of a bubble here in southeast Queensland and Queensland is such a geographically dispersed population. Um, and to be able to have the opportunity <coughs> to work with the English Family Foundation as well as Nuna Centre to provide the resources to get travel scholarships um, for people in rural and remote areas down, um, you know, to talk face to face and just be with each other and create those stronger connections was extremely important. Um, one of the things that we that came up out of out of the weekend was that you know it'd be really great to do this again, but in other regional areas and to follow the model of um, pitching for world forums. Um, get the regions to pitch to QSEC of, to host an unconference, you know, once a year. So, so watch this space. Um, it'll be really exciting. I think, you know, it's just the first of many for us. And as a very uh, young organisation, I think um, with the, the coming of a couple of staff to bolster our professional support, um, I think there's only good things to come for QSEC. So. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Emma Kate. Part of the beauty of that unconference model is recognising that all of you here today are experts in your own right and giving to the sector in your own way and it really gives, gives everyone that equal platform to contribute and put sessions forward and, and, and hold talks. So Belinda Morrissey, Belinda, you've been supporting the sector as part of the English Family Foundation for quite a while now and a part of your focus is looking at how you can provide the right capital at the right time as well. So Belinda, it'd be great to hear some of your reflections from the week's activities, but also what do you see as some of the key barriers that are getting in the way and how might we move forward? Thanks, Tom. I think when we reflect on where the journey has been over the number of years, one thing that we can see when you look at sort of what's missing, what's not missing is the passion. And that came through really loud and clear on the weekend. We had over 120 people gave up their weekend, came and braved camp conditions and bad food um, to, to really embrace the concept of we're in it together. And that, I think, just speaks volumes, and that's the really exciting momentum that we're starting to see. So we've been uh, focused on the social enterprise sector for about the last six years. And being a family foundation, we have the, the absolute privilege of being able to be nimble and fund into areas where there are the gaps. And about 18 months ago, we decided to really flip our model and fund specifically into the ecosystem because the ecosystem was where it was the unsexy area and it was so hard to get funding into that ecosystem. So one of the, the main barriers that we have been seeing is the lack of support for the intermediaries. Um, and I think 
David, to your point earlier, is a thriving ecosystem needs a thriving intermediary to really support that. The other areas that is still of major concern in Australia is the lack of capital. And I do talk about access to the right capital at the right time. Because in Australia, without having a really strong legal structure to support the social enterprise space, um, a social entrepreneur has a vision and they have to decide very early on what legal structure they're going to take. And that legal structure then dictates their access to capital. Are they going to be a charitable model and not for profit and therefore go down the philanthropic grants route and only be able to access debt? Or are they going to be able to um, be a, a PTYT limited for profit for purpose company and access equity? And those sorts of decisions really complicate sometimes the access to capital. We do have a thriving impact investment sector um, and I certainly recall Alan coming back from SOCAP in 2017 going, oh my gosh, there's a tsunami of capital, it's coming. We need to get the sector ready. But the issue is that still in Australia, we're seeing finance first and not social first. So we need to really ensure that we are addressing the needs of the market and not the needs of the investor. And, and look, I, I totally get that investors need returns. We still need to have you know, those sorts of consideration and fiduciary duties are absolutely paramount. But at the same time, we're in a low interest rate environment, a really low interest rate environment. So what we need is more products that really start to capitalize on that low interest rate environment and, and really provide innovative capital solutions into the sector. And we still haven't quite nailed that. Um, I know that Michael Crail um, and Amanda are doing some great work with the federal government in relation to the Impact Investment Working Group, and I'm really excited to see what they come up with. But I think we just need to ensure that all along the life cycle continuum, we are able to provide support mechanisms. Um, and David, I was loving your six pieces of the social enterprise ecosystem, and not to bore the audience, but I'm gonna repeat them because they are so perfect. So David's six pieces were business acumen, social value finance, we've talked about that, access to markets, and that's absolutely fundamental, and I completely applaud social traders and incredible work. The social traders is part of that ecosystem. You need to support that so that you can enable and unlock so many more. Measurement is still a massive issue um, in, this, in Australia. Networks, and I think the work at QSEP is really working with Tom and EK on the Social Enterprise World Forum Div. And one of the incredible, I mean, it's just been such a delight, but one of the incredible components is the momentum it's enabled us to start unlocking and opening conversations. And those conversations, particularly at a state-based level, have been around that self-organization. So we've got QSEP, obviously. We've got SENVIC launched last week at the Social Traders um, conference, which is super exciting. Uh, South Australia now has a strong working group, and that's working towards it, WA, and mapping the system. And in New South Wales and ACT, we're now starting to develop NSEC, which is really exciting. So those are happening. But 12 months, 24 months ago, I couldn't have said anything more than Queensland and um, Victoria. So to see those developments in such a short period of time is, is really positive. And the last one um, was about a supportive public policy. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, we still have way to go on that. 
but what we are finding, again, over the last 12, 24 months, is those conversations are now happening, which they weren't before. So that's a really exciting progression, but we need to keep that momentum and really, I guess, the conversations that we've been having is that that 2021 bid is a strong opportunity for us to actually have a line of sight. It's something that we're working towards. Um, and I think the momentum that that's building is exciting. I'm just going to make a comment very briefly, um, uh, Tom, if I could, to say, Belinda, I'm, I think you make some really good points there. And, and just to, to comment that um, David and I had the opportunity of meeting up with Michael Crail in Sydney just one Saturday morning. Uh, he's gone and um, uh, it was a really good discussion. And Michael's chairing um, the Social Impact Investment Task Force for the federal government. And um, I think um, it was a very timely discussion and we were sort of encouraging Michael um, in that um, process, um, which um, uh, he has, I think, six or 12 months to, to run that task force to really take a very sort of holistic um, view of what the social impact investment market is in Australia, uh, not to be narrow around the supply side, but um, to think about, um, you know, to think about it really broadly, to don't, not to forget social enterprise, not to forget the market and procurement aspects. And uh, he was very open to that conversation. And um, I think it's, as I say, a really timely um, sort of conversation that we um, will certainly be um, inputting into over the next couple of months. Thanks, Belinda and David. So David LePage, you provided those six key points for ecosystem development. And you've spent a solid week or so now having many, many conversations. Are there any specific points that you see really should be reiterated and, and focused on within those six points, gaps that you see that yeah. we should be focusing on? Yeah, I actually think the, the previous three comments kind of cover it really well. The, the networks are growing, but it takes a lot of work. Um, and it's not something that a lot of people are resourced to do. Mm -hmm. So it's oftentimes, and we're finding a shift in, in Canada as people get much more engaged in growing and having larger businesses. So someone like Martian Logic, who's CEO of Ember, was running a, a $12 million, $13 million a year business. She can't necessarily drop that business for a week and go camping for bad food. Um, so I think we have to be very careful that we are aware of where our focus is. Um, I think the finance situation, I, I totally agree with Belinda. We have so much money in Canada, and I tell you, it's like the government just put $755 million into a new fund, and I said, that is not what we need. We don't need more money. We need the right money. And we have banks that make $10 billion a year in profit. We have no responsibility to invest in patient capital. We have foundations sitting on hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars, in an endowment, which is invested in the stock market, which is creating the problem we're trying to solve with the money they make in the market. So the whole thing to me is there's enough money. SOCAP, which is the social capital uh, meeting that happens every year in, in San Francisco, started like 15 or 20 years ago by a group like this, a very grassroots. SOCAP was sold to investors four years ago because the profits around the event are so great and the discussion. So the tsunami of money coming is actually money, as a friend of mine calls it, looking for Google with a halo. <laughs> they are not creating social capital and they are not creating social value capital, they're creating investor capital. I think what we're seeing is when we can have that discussion here, it's amazing. And when you look at the thing though, and then social traders was creating an amazing,
amazing to have like 62 buyer members and a lot of those being private sector and using government purchasing to drive the private sector partners is, is so strategic. But I think what we need to keep doing is be aware that, um, at least we've realized in Canada, you can have an election and that falls apart. And so then you have to be ready to uh, move to where the window, and, and people always say, what, how do you do public policy? And I say, you just stay focused, stay persistent, and when the window opens, jump in, um, because we don't know. So I think that's the thing, the flexibility matched with focus is really gonna be the challenge, because you have some great opportunities, but we all know they come and go. And so how do we stay focused? And it's hard because last week someone said, well, should we look at the short term? I said, yes, you have to measure your short term. And they said, well, you just contradicted yourself because you're talking about the long term. And I said, no, the short term has to focus on achieving that ecosystem. And, and don't be afraid when we fail sometimes because sometimes we try really hard to create a new market or create a public policy and it doesn't happen. But every time we try, we're building the networks and we're building the knowledge. And I think that's really Thanks very much, David. We've got a lot of great voices in the crowd here, and it'd be great to give that opportunity to, to a, a couple of you to, to ask a question to the panel. So were there any questions? Sabrina Chifoy from Brisbane Shore Library. Well, thank you for your insight, but I was at the conference in Melbourne, the Social Trader Conference, and I spoke with many social entrepreneurs, and they agreed that the highest cost that any business in general has is salaries and uh, rent. So I think when we talk about resources, we talk a lot about capital, but if that capital then is invested in rent, well, you know, we don't really, it's not really supporting the thriving ecosystem. So my question is a bit for everyone. With a growing population, especially in Australia, with the free market that we can't stop and our cities that are being designed and sold to big corporations, how can we allocate actually affordable, accessible spaces? So I think there's a, another way to look at that is we just set up a social enterprise in Vancouver. Vancouver has probably the highest real estate wherever you want to go. And what we did is we went to the social housing authority and to government and said, you own a lot of property and a lot of your property has commercial space in it. So we actually signed a lease uh, for 100,000 square feet of commercial and retail space from the social housing. So it's the first floor below social housing, social housing above, street level commercial. And we signed a 15 year plus five year option lease at a very accommodating rate because they realize their space can be more than just property because it's government owned and it has a blended value. Then we can rent to nonprofits and social enterprises at operating costs. And then the commercial tenants pay market rent and the profits can be reinvested in social enterprise. So I actually think there's some very creative opportunities to review the real estate market from the social enterprise lens as opposed to assuming that it's always gonna be privately owned and privately controlled. So I think we're seeing movements around land banks and changing the ownership, transfer of ownership, especially when government I don't know about in Australia, but in Canada, government owns a lot of property. They have just accumulated it. And we have big uh, arguments with the city of Vancouver because they think it's an income stream. We think it should be a social value stream. So I would re-examine 
how property is used. And even with social traders, with the procurement thing, how can, you know, offices, uh, we have some nonprofits who actually sit in the SAP office in Vancouver. Um, so how can we re-examine space to look at it through a different lens just than the rent lens? Just to add to that, there's also something that we haven't unlocked in Australia. And obviously I come from a philanthropic lens, but a few years ago the government did actually put into the tax legislation for foundations that they can unlock value. And that value might look like a grant, but it might look like a, a dollar a, a year rental stream. And so both of those can actually become financial incentives. And we haven't un unlocked or tapped into that in Australia. So something that we're trying to do within Philanthropy Australia is actually encourage the philanthropic sector to consider how they can unlock value, social value. And, and that's something that is, is in motion because a lot of philanthropists do own, um, you know, they run big business. So they could actually unlock a portion of their um, office space or they own properties that they could actually, actually do that really low rental. So I agree and let's talk about it offline. Thanks very much, Sabrina, David, and Belinda. And, and the thought there about our anchor institutions, the universities, with the amount of space that they have, perhaps that's an opportunity for that sector. Uh, yes, uh, thank you. And to carry on from that, uh, my startup is based in regional Queensland. So to get the traction that I need, I need to come to Brisbane to set up here. So I'm paying a mortgage and I'm paying rent. And then how am I supposed to pay for office rent as well? So. Uh, fortunately, Advanced Queensland is fantastic. They have a landing pad at, uh, at the precinct that I use. Uh, but if that wasn't available, you know, what, what would I do? And there are limitations to, uh, I guess, long-term aspects of that as well. But going back to what you're saying about impact investment. So as a startup, uh, it's a for-purpose, for-profit. And uh, so I started looking at impact investment. I approached uh, uh, organisations in Australia. I spoke to Charlie Kreisner in the States. And uh, they all seem to come back with, well, once you're, once you're turning over 50000 a year, come and talk to us. And, uh, and I found that quite disappointing as, as an attitude towards, um, it, I think it really should be looked at, look, looking at the proposition that you, you provide, the value proposition, rather than and what your possible impact is, rather than this floor of come and see us when you're turning over 50000 a year. So I think that's another area that we can be looking at as well, is that, that, that risk factor. So in the meantime, we've been very fortunate. An international IT company has seen the purpose that, I can, that can be achieved, and so I have an investor now. But I think it's a bit of a shame that the, the impact investment, I, I guess, sector uh, didn't, sit, didn't stop and look at the impact that was possible with, with the particular startup I have. And there may be others in that same uh, space, because in the meantime, when you're someone like me, who you're paying all the bills yourself, you mortgage your house to be able to achieve what you're achieving because you have this, this mission, this purpose that drives you. Uh, and then it's the very sector that you think that would pick you up is the very sector that says, well, until you're actually turning over a certain amount, uh, try somewhere else. Thanks, Johanna. Luke? Do we have any reflections on that or time is quickly escaping us? I'm wondering if there are some final reflections perhaps on that comment or, or more broadly. David? Well, I, I just think it's a really good point, and uh, you know, as Belinda was saying, I think there's a, you know, there's a really huge need need to have sort of whole spectrum of um, finance available for enterprises at different stages of their development. And um, as social traders, you know, in, the, in its earlier days, ran 
you know, ran a, ran a patient capital fund for startup early stage, um, which was a mix of sort of, um, you know, non-repayable investment and then um, loan repayments. Um, and, um, you know, and then we, we, we provided sort of business sort of support behind that as well. So, um, it, you know, there's not a lot of that sort of finance available. I think some of the philanthropics are doing some of that work really well, particularly in Victoria. We're very lucky down there, but... Um, I do think there's a you know there's a huge role for you know for you know for government um, to you know to, to to incorporate some of that into their you know into their thinking as they you know they put out a strategy. Those strategies need to be funded and implemented, and that's one of the things that you know I think government can do in conjunction with um, you know philanthropy and impact first social investors. Yeah, I just think just to add to that, I mean we've been. Um, lucky in Brisbane, I guess, to a point where we've had a little bit of support from Brisbane City Council and providing sort of, you know, some um, incubator-style support for Elevate. But um, there is a big missing piece in next-stage growth. But I see, do see a role where universities can start getting a bit more agile in that space as well and start providing, um, you know, a lot more resources to assist with that sort of um, technical support. Um, in terms of um, the funding, I think... Watch this space in terms of Advanced Queensland 2.0. I know that um, that Shannon Fenterman in particular is, is and Kate Jones are both very interested in social enterprise. They're, well, especially Minister Fenterman, she's um, a bit of a champion for us. And Kate Jones, you know, she's, she's very, um, having previously a climate change portfolio, is pretty aware of the issues too. So I feel like there are some stars lining up there. And with Leanne Kemp as the um, chief entrepreneur, just signed up for another extra year. Um, she has, you know, started to um, advocate for the circular economy, um, still working on that, and um, I know that there has been some meetings on impact with her as well. So I think, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the next 12 months in terms of um, state government support uh, for social enterprise. So. Thank you, Emma Kate. And yes, thank you to Brisbane City Council who have been supporting the Elevate Plus Accelerator and we look forward to, to continuing and, and extending that uh, to more of our, our city citizens. Belinda, was there a, a closing thought, perhaps? I think that we've covered quite a lot of ground today. What my closing thought would be that it is about good collaboration and that is absolutely paramount. So every time that you're coming up against an obstacle or a challenge or a success is that we need to be sharing that and we need to be talking so much more so that we don't keep reinventing wheels and that we really work together as a sector um, across the country as well as into, you know, within the state. And, and I'm seeing so many positive, encouraging signs of that. So I fully applaud the Queensland sector witnessed firsthand over the last number of days just how vital that sense of humanity is. And I really, you know, further to David's point about remembering why we're doing this is that we need to keep close to us that sense of humanity. Just to um, add to that, I think the collaboration and partnership is absolutely sort of critical. And, um, you know, from social traders' perspective, we're absolutely committed to that. You know, we're really pleased to be sort of uh, working here and got some... Presence on the ground here with Alex and Nina, and um, you know we they're very clear around you know where we think we can add value to the sector here. We you know we really acknowledge the role that Trisec's playing as the peak industry body 
we have a you know partnership relationship with QSAC which works really well and you know there's a lot of great stuff happening here you should be very proud of what's happening and we're here to sort of add value to that uh, particularly around the procurement area and providing those opportunities for Queensland enterprises to you know put in work with government and business buyers and um, just to add that you know Emma Tate is joining us at a couple of meetings today here with Queensland government officials to you know to um, to engage with them and we have a meeting uh, lined up with uh, Minister Fentiman also so that uh, she gets to hear directly from from David LePage as well so um, thanks again Tom and Emma for having the opportunity to you know to have this event today and for Brisbane marketing to you know, c covering our props to, to get up here. It's much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks very much, David. I'd like to leave a final thought with David LePage. First of all, I want to thank everyone. This is such an amazing welcome and an opportunity to, to visit Australia and to come to Brisbane. And it's just amazing and beautiful. And I always look at um, how many construction towers there are. And then I said, okay, if that's going on, that's great. But let's not forget there's another part of the community that probably isn't in enhanced by that wealth and that growth. So the tallest buildings are beautiful, but let's not forget that there's other people who are left behind in that time that those remain. And the other thing is we all talk about collaboration, but I think that's really, really important, but don't be afraid of taking risks. And sometimes people take risks and they look around and say, no one's following me. Uh, <laughs> Is this a good thing to do? What happened to collaboration? Where are my friends, my colleagues? I think this is one of those, I think, ongoing sort of oxymorons that we have to deal with. We have to deal with collaboration and network, but we also have to be brave enough to sometimes say, I'm going to go this way because I think there's an opportunity there. And if it works, great. And hopefully people, and you've built enough trust in your network that when someone gets brave and goes off, you can say, Tom, I think it's okay. I trust you. Not sure I'm going to follow you on this one. But I mean, so I think we have to always deal with those things, the short term that builds on the long term goals, but also the collaboration and the network, but not be afraid of the risk taking that's going to be necessary to change the economy that right now is based on personal economic wealth versus an economy that builds community capital. That's going to take risk. It's going to be challenging, but it's why we do what we do. One more thing from me. I think it would be remiss if we, um, in conjunction with the Social, Social Traders Conference uh, last week, we um, have a uh, uh, Social Enterprise Awards to acknowledge Tom Sharp for being the SE Champion of the Year. Congratulations, Tony, and um, and to that great Queensland Social Enterprise, your town, for being Social Enterprise of the Year. It's good. Two of the major awards. Congratulations. Well, well deserved, Tony, and your town. So thank you so much, David LePage, David Brooks, Linda Morrissey, and Emma Kate Rose. It is a pleasure to collaborate with you. We are looking forward to those that can join you in Ethiopia this year in continuing this conversation. And I'd like to thank all of you in the room as well for your support, for the hard work that you're doing. And we look forward to, to continuing the conversation and taking our social enterprise ecosystem.
Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.